Join leading executives from ITV, Channel 4, Sky, Marks & Spencer, Heineken, and many more for a dedicated day of networking and panels at the Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit at Advertising Week Europe on Thursday the 16th of May at 180 Studios in London. Panel discussions will explore how to work with UK broadcasters in brand-funded entertainment, navigating the world of compliance, IP and distribution, creator partnerships, the future of digital branded content, brand-funded podcasts, and more. Delegate tickets are available now via telecast.com forward slash events at a very special discounted rate of £350 plus VAT which also grants delegates access to more than 100 sessions at the event over all three days from the 14th to the 16th of May. Join company presidents and CEOs, founders, futurists, influencers, agencies and execs from brands including Coca-Cola, TikTok, Google, Activision Blizzard, LinkedIn, Netflix and Deliveroo. Plus, celebrities including Drive Tribe's Richard Hammond and pop legends take that. Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit in association with 53 Degrees North Media at Advertising Week Europe on the 16th of May 2024. Get your tickets now at telecast.com forward slash events and level up your knowledge and contacts in the world of brand-funded entertainment. Telecast, the TV industry news review. Hi, I'm Justin Crosby and welcome... To Telecast. On this week's show, I chat with Asasha Media Group co-CEO Marina Williams as we discuss the company's international growth, acquisition and co-production plans. Plus, I chat with TF1's head of content development, Julien de Grog, on the French broadcaster's format creation strategy, current market developments in the country and what's working with viewers right now. It's all coming up on this week's telecast. My first guest on this week's show is co-founding partner and CEO at multinational IP creation and production business, Asasha Media Group. Welcome to Telecast, Marina Williams. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you today. Asasha Media Group has been making some headlines in the content industry recently, and, and we'll come on to, to chat about those in a second. But um, But first of all, for our listeners who are not familiar with you or Asasha, give us a bit of information on your background and about Asasha Media Group. Absolutely. It will be my pleasure. So I've been in the industry for many years. Originally, maybe you can hear my accent. I actually come from uh, uh, Russia. I was born in St. Petersburg and I came to United Kingdom in the early 90s. Maybe it was luck, maybe it was destiny, I don't know. But my first job was with CNN International. And it was a fantastic time when our Ted Turner, a really huge entrepreneur, and for me, like godfather in the business, launched European business. And I joined that office in early 90s to roll out uh, CNN International across European territories. I thought it was just a several months project at the time, but I was there for seven years. <laughs> wow, that must have been really exciting time. I mean, the industry legend and uh, and CNN was all you know the all rolling news was relatively new and exciting and competitive. So that must have been a fantastic experience. I have to say, I love to be with uh, so so to say pioneers, you know, because it was really absolutely a pioneer of uh, live news. 
Um, and to see the technology, I mean, now it's all common, right? So many people can do live news, but in those days, uh, Ted was the first. And uh, to see the rollout of this equipment and um, incredible, you know, when I when I went to Atlanta and I saw this cases in one room and I said, what are all this uh, kind of steel looking cases? They said, well, we can go anywhere in the world. We open them up. We put the signal up to the satellite and we can transmit from desert. And of course, this was also their, you know, the Gulf War, which made CNN so, so successful. And uh, and I think that gave us a huge boost to make the business uh, amazing. So the growth of subscribers was crazy. On the back of CNN, we launched Cartoon Network. So I moved to kids business at the time and uh, stayed on for seven years with the pay TV industry. It's like a baptism of fire, but it must have been uh, incredibly uh, exciting. So where did you go after CNN then? So, so after that, I, I actually, this kids, it was kind of interesting because I had kid, my first son and, and I moved to kids business and it was really fantastic timing. So I joined Fox Kids Europe and uh, this was a business uh, set up as a joint venture between Chaim Saban and uh, Rupert Murdoch. So uh, managed by Saban and it was a very, very startup stages. So you can tell I love startups, which is uh, in a way, uh, you know, at the time, even even though I was not a founder, but joined the team, which was growing from scratch. And we took the company public, did a roadshow, presented the European strategy. And this this is actually where I met my current partners, Marc Antoine de Luin, who also uh, joined Fox Kids Europe team in UK, and we worked really closely with each other for five years. And Gaspard de Chavignac was managing the business at the time for France. So we were part of the very entrepreneurial, very fast-moving environment and built pretty big business, 46 million subscribers for relatively unknown library of product over four years. Uh, And then, well, the shareholders decided to sell it and Disney acquired the business. So we went through interesting experience uh, at the time, you know. So just to say after that, I went to Fox, you know, and launched Fox channels. Uh, so I kind of stayed on their News Corp side for a couple of years and was part, of, again, of a very small team um, at that time managed by the CEO of National Geographic, David Haslington. And we launched first Fox entertainment networks in Europe, like Fox Live, Fox Crime. FX. Uh, these were exciting days. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, yeah, as you say, you've been involved with, you know, lots of nascent projects and building brands and building channels. And then you were at Endemol Shine. Is that right? Yeah, actually, there was there was uh, something in between which, which really uh, was quite key for me because I, I really, with, with time, you know, wanted to move along different, I would say, different divisions of the industry. So, I learned as much as I could learn in pay TV, uh, but you know, pay TV was a subscription-driven business, and I always wanted to see what is it like running free-to-air channels, where you wake up every morning and you look at the ratings, and you will see whether your decisions of the previous days actually delivered immediate results or not, because you don't see it in pay TV as much as you do in free TV. So I joined the. Central Media Enterprises, uh, which is a company founded by Ronald Lauder, 
In fact, the youngest son of Estée Lauder, uh, she had two sons. Huh. One inherited her perfume empire as a, and managed it, and their second son worked in the diplomatic circles at the time when the wall came down, and he launched and privatized quite a few national stations in Central Eastern Europe. So it was a very big company at the time, five billion market cap, growing across uh, six countries in Central Eastern Europe with very big networks. So I joined them in London to, to help manage the businesses in the region and growing synergy between all these companies and, in fact, kicking off local production for the first time. So that was the first experience moving into our production business from where I went into Endemol in 2009. And you were there for a quite a while at Endemol. Yes, actually, uh, incredible. My longest, my longest, I would say, uh, because normally I was with a company for five, maximum, you know, six years. So Endemol, nine years. Uh, Endemol then going through Endemol Shine Merge, uh, which was a very interesting experience. And yes, so nine years. Then you moved on to Asasha and co-founded Asasha. So first of all, where is Asasha based? So Asasha is a French legal entity. It's uh, it's incorporated in France. Headquarters is in Paris. And um, it has been designed as a truly European project to start with. But we are across three territories right now, uh, beautiful cities, Paris, London, and Rome. This is where our assets are. And um, I'm based out of UK because this is where, where I live. And obviously, it really helped during COVID times when hardly anybody could travel. So I was looking after our initial assets, so two companies that we acquired in UK while Gaspar was uh, in France. We are co-CEOs of the business, so we share certain responsibilities. And of course, I'm on the road quite a bit, despite COVID, between London and Paris a lot. And of course, visiting our uh, Italian uh, assets in, in Rome. Talk us through the business then, because I, in my intro, I called it a, a multinational IP creation and production business. Well, first of all, tell us about the companies that comprise a Sasha Media Group. I'll explain how we launched, actually, like what was the thesis behind the launch of the company. And it did take us, you know, a couple of years to raise funds and to, to get it off the ground. When I was at Endemol, it became apparent to me that most of uh, like Endemol Shine at the time or companies uh, we were competing against were really focused at the time on English speaking product. And whenever any of their international, especially for drama, whenever any international drama would come on board and come into catalog, it was always a dilemma. And I would say difficulty to distribute, to promote local language content. I'm a true believer of authenticity and of originality and also of the fact that ideas, wonderful ideas and stories can come from anywhere. And this was the original concept of Asachi. So, and we decided that we wanted to launch from continental Europe. And we knew that the streamers, you know, originally, uh, obviously big streamers arriving from US, we kind of could predict that they would be opening the budgets for local markets. And we wanted to be there with local partners, local producers, helping them to step up in the game and to be able to expand their product 
from their normal, you know, I would say free-to-air linear TV clients to streamers. So that's how our such as concept was born uh, originally on predominantly non-English content to start with. So kicking off from Europe with non-English. But we did, you know, expand over several months because uh, as a secondary step, it's important for us to go into co-production. And of course, for co-production, UK market is, is very important. I mean, I have to say that that's for me. I mean, maybe it was obvious for you at the time, but I guess now you look at the success of local stories within the streamers. You know, it's great that you obviously saw that opportunity back then, a few years ago, because now we're we're seeing local stories really truly become global. So this is obviously something that you've uh, you've predicted. So uh, so congratulations on that. In terms of the companies then, so tell us about your UK production companies. Tell us about your Italian businesses and your French businesses. Yes, absolutely. I'll start with the Italians, if you don't mind, because they are they are our first partners who actually supported our project and believed into Asasha concept. Uh, so we partnered with two companies in Italy and two very important people. So Simone Ercalani. Uh, who was a founder of the company called Stand By Me. Timona is not only the founder and CEO of the business, she is actually a creative mind. So she's she's IP creator herself. She writes her own shows. At the time when we started negotiations, she was mainly across uh, live action for, for children, a lot of factual shows and very successful uh, non-scripted businesses as well, and just making first steps into scripted, which is which is quite important for us, obviously, as a group. So we um, partnered with uh, Simona, so we acquired majority stake in uh, Simona's business, and she also converted some of her proceeds into the shares of Asacha Group, so she became a significant shareholder at their early stage in the whole group, which is an important concept for us. We really want to create a coherent structure where everybody is aligned and have interest not only to continue growing, you know, their local business, but they really want to grow the whole group. And the second company in Italy is Pico Media. It's a primetime premium uh, scripted producer. So strictly scripted, uh, very focused. They do mainly TV series for primetime Rai Uno, for example, very big provider. And also they produce feature movies. So quite a few feature movies in collaboration with Warner Brothers, also with local movie chain. And now, of course, uh, they stepped up and also quite a few developments uh, with Netflix and, you know, with other streamers which which coming on board. So that's Italy. After Italy, uh, we expanded uh, in France kind of naturally because Gaspar, uh, being a co-founder of Asasha, also rolled his uh, small, relatively small at the time French business. It was a startup company called Minty, where he has quite... Uh, prolific partners as uh, developers and also as a film director. He brought from uh, previous uh, Fremantle Zodiac days, I understand. And uh, and later uh, in the year, we acquired um, also an equity stake in a very big company. Actually, they, they may be not so well known as a brand in the other markets. They are called Cabo. 
but they're very big in France. Um, they're one of the biggest providers of uh, pro content to M6 channel, and they're very strong in comedy. For about 10 years, they're the leader of ratings in um, rom-coms and baileys. And, uh, and what was interesting for us as well, that the core management of Cabo managed to create an infrastructure in partnership with very talented people, like 10 different labels, as we call them. So, and in this uh, supporting producer of prime time, like Arnaud Figaret, for example, very big name, I think, in the French industry. And uh, we have a partnership with him. We have some producers who develop much younger, kind of coming out of age series. So we have also other partners who are like produce mixed for Amazon, for example. So I would say, several labels that we invested uh, together with Cabo shareholders to beef up the scripted strategy for such a big market as France. And in UK, we also have two entities. So we're pretty balanced, I would say, today, you know, in terms of presence and uh, uh, revenue turnover and projects across every country. So in UK, this fantastic uh, team of people at Red Planet, uh, we were taken away by them, uh, Tony Jordan and um, Alex Jones and Belinda Campbell, who formed the core team uh, with amazing development team. And of course, Death in Paradise has been still an absolute hit on BBC One. Yeah, it's incredibly successful returning series, yeah. Yes, it's, it's incredible. And even this year, like, they, they were they were really... The, the, the Christmas special was number two only after Queen's speech. So <laughs> we were very, very proud. And, uh, and the smaller company... Is in factual space uh, because, you know, Stand By Me is in factual. So we're trying to actually find a way how companies complement each other. And WAG Entertainment is a factual producer, mainly originally serving U.S. market, uh, Discovery, Science Network, Weather Channel, sort of a little bit lower value but higher volume productions, some big franchises, which has been on air for four to five years. And now also we hired the new creative lead because we would like to complement that strategy with high-end documentaries. And uh, actually, I, I can't announce it, but soon there will be a deal announced between uh, supported by two streamers, two major streamers uh, with quite an interesting project. So that's basically where we are. We have uh, six companies today. Right. And so you've acquired stakes and equity or over overall ownership of these companies in a fairly short amount of time, right? Is it only, uh, how long is it since you set Sasha up? Oh, it's, uh, we launched April 2020. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's 18, it was 18 months. Yes, we launched, uh, I have to say, during very difficult times, uh, because everything was ready, funds, and we negotiated also deals with our Italian partners and, and COVID struck uh, the world. And actually, Italy was the worst in Europe at the time. It was a very difficult time because uh, nobody knew, you know, how things would develop. But we are very, very thankful to our main shareholder 
and to all our partners because the trust was incredible in uh, you know three of us the founders and Mark Antoine and Gaspine and me so we were supported and we kicked off and and here we are you know with a consolidated uh, group and with more to come can you give us a sense of the scale of the business now we know you've got six companies overall but in terms of revenues what what does that mean just roughly across the group yeah, I wouldn't talk about maybe two details, but I would say somewhere around 200 million euros okay. turnover. Okay. And obviously you said it's not just scripted, it just very varies in terms of the output, but presumably scripted is, is, is probably the largest component of that. Yeah, scripted and factual is a, is, a, is a key contributor, even though during COVID time, first COVID year, Simona did absolutely incredible. Like she delivered 16 projects on air. And, uh, and and we realize how important it, it is to, to be diverse in the portfolio because uh, it was much quicker production. You know, uh, obviously, some of the projects are lower scaled and scripted. And within the guidelines of COVID, we, which we follow very, very strictly because protection of people is, is the key for us. But we managed to, to deliver a lot of projects to the to the Italian audience at the time. Well, congratulations for working your way through that. I know we've got we've got lots of war stories from across the industry of how people got through 2020 in particular. So how can the rest of the content industry work with you? Well, first of all, on the acquisition, are you still looking to acquire businesses? Are you still in a an acquisition drive? And and if so, what sort of businesses might you be targeting next? Yes, we, we are definitely interested to continue growth via partnerships and acquisitions of companies. We would like to grow both geographically, but in some of the markets also, like UK, for example, I don't think we are we are done yet so because it's such an important market, um, potentially France. But we are looking very actively into Germany, um, into Spain, um, Central Eastern Europe, I think for sure we'll find the right target because I think it's an important uh, region enough to, from different aspects, I would say. Uh, the storytelling became a lot more interesting. The quality of the product has gone up as well. And, and we are working on some projects in Middle East as well. I would say they're quite a kind of diverse, still more, more EMEA, you know, so we're not talking yet about Asia or America. However, we are always opportunistic because uh, sometimes some incredible opportunity may come if it creates a synergy, certain synergy, or it's some amazing talent. You know, we never say like totally no. But in terms of a focus where we want to be, this this is the, the regions. We are actually also working with third-party producers quite a bit now because we are still relatively small. So we are only in three territories. And we created the central team, uh, hired a, a really lovely and very professional lady from all three media, uh, Maria Ishak, uh, who looked after packaging of content and distribution of content uh, predominantly in America. She was based in New York. So whilst you know we don't have assets presence or companies in America, we felt we do need to have that expertise because you can't ignore that market and you cannot ignore that you know all the streamers still have headquarters in those markets so maria brings her vast 
connections and experience from that part of the world, which really helps. And together with her, we are setting up international co-production division. So where we mainly focus on packaging of ideas with scriptwriters, with talent, and finding funding for them. And these ideas can come from our own production companies, or they can come from outside. So our doors are open. You know, we can. Uh, it can be a third-party producer who may have an interest in a natural story, maybe true story, which leads into our territories. So editorially, it may be a great fit for Italy, UK, or France. That's a true co-pro, you know what we call it, because it's natural editorial connections. So we would definitely open arms to, to look at those. Or it can be just a unique piece of incredible IP where some independent company needs more money to seek for development because you need an absolutely A-list writer. So we have certain central fund and we can seed some money to take that project to the next level. So invest. And um, uh, and the other element, you know, we are always we, we haven't really worked as service provider, you know, for other companies, but you never know. So if the project comes into Italy and we can service it well, we would do it. This is not our core, but as I say, you know, every every revenue stream is important. We would be open for for that as well. We are masters of uh, identifying the right IP for the right client, I think. And we would like to build up on that real professional expertise. And those co-productions, is that mainly scripted or are you open to unscripted as well, unscripted co-productions? You know, right now it's mainly scripted. It's mainly scripted. Uh, We have actually uh, one or two projects which are also quite interesting in factual space where the story leads between, uh, we have one football story, which really incredible, and it's a story between Italy and um, UK. Uh, so it's a, it's a factual doc- documentary with very interesting contributors. And uh, because Simona is so big on non-scripted, you know, from time to time, so we look at the projects actually where she could co-develop some new IP. For, because she develops a lot on her own and we are opportunistic there. So if there is a company, you know, which uh, actually has some interest in IP, we always listen to the speeches and we see there's something that could work for that market right. uh, for entertainment. Yeah. Okay. So for any producers out there who may be interested in having a conversation with you, maybe UK indies who, who you're looking to acquire – Presumably, it sounds like businesses who are medium-sized with returning series, ideally, and could be scripted, could be unscripted as well, or maybe even a mix of the two. Well, first of all, you know, this business is about people. Uh, so before before we look at the numbers, you know, uh, or the size of, the size of the company, we we look we we want to know more about the people and. And do they believe into our strategy and um, how keen they are to continue in this business? You know, we we don't really do so many earnout deals, which are so popular in UK, where people just you know want to work for X number of years and then they want to leave, because we are we are building a story here, you know, of the of the group where everybody's interest is uh, is aligned. 
Um, so we like partners who who want to maybe be more international, you know, not just local, who are ready to um, look at the projects and cooperate with other partners within the group. So there is a proper creative co-development process. So that's that's important strategically. Size of the companies, yes, it does matter. It's better it's a bigger company than a smaller company. <laughs> we are now at the stage that actually we can look at bigger companies. When you have a bigger scale, you know, you grow much faster. Definitely a good track record, you know, of being able to, to service clients, whether it's top ratings or, you know, very credible clients. And if it's repeatable franchise, fantastic. You know, not so often you can come across companies like that. Uh, it's definitely a plus. We would love to create new franchises. So if there are people who are prove that they are really creative, you know, and they can work well with creative. That's another thing because, you know, sometimes you can have a company you don't have. We are lucky with Red Planet because Tony Jordan is a writer himself. He founded the company, so he's a script writer. If you don't have talent necessarily like that, you do want to have people who know how to work with talent community. Yeah. Because you don't want arrogance. You know, you really want low-key approach. At the same time, you want to listen. You want to contribute to those people. So collaboration, I would say, and that kind of collaborative mood is very key for us. We'll keep our eyes peeled on the press and see what developments and announcements you're going to be making. By the sounds of it, there's probably a, a few on the uh, in the not-too-distant future. In terms of the news, so you announced an appointment, Alban de Noirmont you hired fairly recently. Tell us about that hire. Well, that's uh, exactly the, the strategy to support what we just discussed, you know, acquisition uh, uh, of companies because, well, it's my, you know, first experience of a proper startup, even though there were a lot of startups, they were always be- within big corporations. But when you launch your own business, you have to do pretty much everything. <laughs> and Gaspar and me were managing quite a few areas of the business during the startup stage and and we are very happy that now we scale that to the level that we can actually reinforce you know our central team so alban came to join our team based out of paris he will help us lead their strategy for acquisitions also we we indeed have a good pipeline so he will be the person to analyze the financials and help us to speed, um, you know, in a professional matter, all of those discussions. And now it's time for Story of the Week, the TV industry news story that's caught my guest's eye in the past seven days. Marina, what's your Story of the Week? Well, my Story of the Week is, uh, of course, which probably everybody follows, and it must be not only my story, is Netflix uh, share price and uh, Netflix announcement uh, during, you know, their obviously normal announcement of earnings and subscribers' growth uh, to their investors. There's been a lot of commentary about it. What's your take on it? Because they've taken a bit of a dip, haven't they, those share prices? You know, it's pretty obvious that competition is stepping uh, on Netflix uh, feed, you know, very rapidly. And uh, we can see that in Europe as well. It's obvious that U.S. subscribers are almost saturated. So the growth in U.S. market is very limited. And uh, there is still growth in Europe, but um, I think it's uh, relatively 
to Asia Pacific relatively small. So to me, it looks like Netflix will be moving a lot of money probably uh, into content in uh, Asia Pacific region because it's still sort of the growth area. That's probably what they're going to happen. And I can see already a lot of expenditure with Korean dramas, which is uh, good news for Netflix because they happen to work also from what we've seen with Squid Games, you know, uh, for everybody in the world. So I think they're still very smart. I think, you know, it's incredible how many originals they have commissioned and built up. But for sure, it's not going to be easier because uh, definitely Disney and uh, Viacom and others will try to pull their content back from Netflix. You know, all the content which was there under license, they will find every possible way to gain gain this license back. And that may deteriorate further, I think, the UK base of clients because they probably, I would think, a lot of subscribers there subscribed for Netflix behind some big American brands, which will disappear within the next period of time. It's not an easy situation, but I think it's probably a good situation for us producers because the terms of trade that Netflix established are very harsh. You know, you you cannot control any IP. You don't have any backend as a producer. You work only as a job for hire. You know, work very hard because you obviously want to deliver the top image to the world. So quite often you end up with very little margin because you are proud of your work, so you have to deliver quality. And um, I, I hope that this will actually make Netflix realize if they want to open doors to top talent and more content, so they will have to be a bit more flexible. Well, it's going to be interesting, all of the uh, the amount of competition that's really going to hot up. You know, as a result of COVID, obviously we saw very well reported. We saw the growth of subscription right across the board for all the different services and Disney going from naught to 60 in however many seconds. Now that's starting to cool down a bit. So it's, uh, yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see how all of these groups compete. And I'm sure it'll probably lead to a bit of merger and acquisition uh, action happening before too long. We'll keep our eyes on that. How about your hero of the week, Marina? Who's your hero of the week and get in the bin? I don't know how many people follow the recent news, but uh, my my ex-colleague from Endemol, uh, Richard Johnson, who, who left the company after uh, probably 20 years, if, if not more, joined, a, a, I think it's absolutely unbelievable project. And of course, too early to say, but I think he's a hero. He joined the project founded by entrepreneurs who acquired a piece of a space station uh, with a 50-year license to exploit the space station for entertainment where you can build an arena in zero gravity and you can hold sports competitions, uh, art gallery exhibitions, and you can basically do a lot of things in space. And I think it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I saw that story. I said, it was incredible. So it's basically a studio in space, isn't it? Yeah. Studio for hire. Yeah, for hire, for, for events. It's still, I'm sure this project will still have to involve a lot of, you know, and attract a lot of funding. But I think for Richard to get involved is fantastic because after being uh, uh, kind of locked in a corporate environment for so many years, just to get out there, and to look at something totally out of the box, totally different. 
I think is fantastic. It must be a lot of fun to work on that. So uh, Richard Johnson there is your uh, your hero of the week. And how about the bin? Who or what are you telling to get in the bin, Marina? If I can be very general, I don't want to name any people, but I think whoever feels uh, pessimistic and finding an excuse, you know, to to be a negative because of COVID or, you know, trying to excuse not, not to think even more creatively. I think these people should go to the bin. I think it's time for all of us to find a very positive mood. We've been through very difficult time and, and still not completely out of it. Uh, but I think everybody learns so much during this experience and um, and of course, in some countries, the government supporting also with insurance schemes, you know, the, the disruptions in production. So we should all like, you know, lobby together for that, work together for this actually support to come more, but also not be afraid. Here, here. Well, I yeah. think you're right. I mean, it's it's this is the most miserable time of the year, isn't it? Usually, you know, these couple of weeks in the middle of January and it is easy to get a little bit blue. And in fact, the term Blue Monday was coined for last week, I think it was. But yeah, I think, let's face it, COVID's on the retreat and spring's coming. The days are getting longer. We should be looking ahead to some uh, positive times ahead. Yes, I think so. And for more positive stories to bring to the viewers, you know, for uplifting mood. Yeah, exactly. So anybody who isn't on board with that, they can get in the bin. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Marina Williams, thank you so much for joining us this week. Really enjoyed chatting with you. All the best with the Sasha Media Group. We'll be keeping our eyes peeled for your latest acquisition news. And uh, maybe we'll see you at MIP TV, or maybe we'll see you at NEM, or maybe we'll see you at some of these industry events coming up in the months ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It was a real pleasure to talk to you, Justin. <laughs> My next guest on this week's show is Julien Degrotte, Head of Content Development at French free-to-air broadcasting group TF1. Julien, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, Justin. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I hope your listener will enjoy our discussion today. But yes, I'm very glad. Just looking at your job title and your role and, and what you do keeps you pretty busy. So I'm really delighted that we've got a little bit of your time to to have a chat. And also, I love always speaking to uh, senior executives in the French TV industry, because I think for various reasons, we don't get to do that too much. And, and maybe on the international stage, we don't get to talk about the French industry as much as we should. To begin with, then, can you tell our listeners a little bit about TF1 and your role there and the networks and channels you oversee? Yeah, for sure, Justin. So as you said, uh, I'm the head of content development for different group channels. So uh, to give you the big picture, I have three main tasks to manage, commissioning, creating IPs, and scouting. So first, I'm in charge of commissioning and overseeing all new unscripted formats, studio-based or factual entertainment. To give you some examples, I've commissioned The Mass Singer, Ninja Warrior, The Wall, Tattoo Fixers, uh, a lot of daily factional entertainment uh, for TF1 and for our DTT channels. My second task, uh, I have to create original IPs. So it could be our own format created in-house or it could be co-development with French producers, with international uh, producers. To give you uh, an idea, in the last four years, we have put 31 
paper formats on air. Right. Not only on TF1, but on, 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 on the DTT channels as well. And thirdly, with my other team, so my first team is a development team with creative uh, executives. My other team is a research team. So we oversee scouting scripted series formats as well, unscripted and scripted formats uh, to be adapted uh, locally. And we buy finished products, ready-made for our DTT channel. So that's why, as I said, commissioning, creating IPs and scouting uh, ready-made and, and, and good formats. So hence why you're so busy. So what does that mean in terms of the amount of content that you're producing a year across all of those three responsibilities. Do you have a an idea of what that looks like in total? I work for TF1, the leading channel in France. For TMC, I would say it's a it's a DTT channel, but a national free to air channel. On Key Demo, it's the fourth national channel, and we have also TFX. TFX is the young skewing channel with a lot of reality on the daily slots, factual entertainment on prime time. And then we have TF1 series film, but that's only scripted series, movies. And, 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 and I would say that more and more, I work for my TF1 or Avid platform. So every year, uh, I have to commission prime time for TF1, access prime time, daily access prime time for TF1, prime time for TMC, dailies for TFX, and prime time for TFX. To give you uh, some example of TFX, uh, we have brands like uh, Tattoo Fixers, How to Look Good Naked, OCC, and then on daily on a daily basis on Access Prime Time, for example, we have the adaptation of Are You the One, the Viacom format, but on a daily version, so it's like 60 episodes, something like that. And we have three key brands of reality on TFX. On TF1, on Prime Time, we have uh, what I call the Big Five. Survivor, The Voice, Dancing with the Stars, Ninja Warrior, The Mass Singer. Yeah. And after many seasons, they still do very well, overperforming uh, the slot averages. And to maybe to complete my answer, I would say that more recently, I want to, to point three formats uh, that got good ratings. Uh, Game of Talent, uh, the Fremontal format. So we did the first season last September and Next weekend, we're going to tape the second season. Good Singers, the global agency format. So next month, we're going to tape the third season. So very happy with the ratings of the first two seasons. And Family Feud, the old uh, format, but still doing well. Family Feud arrived in France in the late 80s, like I think everywhere in the world. Then in France, we had a reboot of this format in the 90s. And I used to be the producer uh, when I was the producer. So I produced uh, Family Food for TF1. So it was a daily show. It's like, I don't know, maybe 1,000 episodes, something like that. And last year, we did uh, a third reboot with a new host at the late uh, prime time. So late programming at uh, after the prime time, around uh, 11, 11.30. He did very well. And so we decided to, uh, to commission uh, a special episode with celebrities. And it will be taped this afternoon. So that's uh, some uh, big formats, international formats, are doing very well among the big five, as, as I described. Interesting. Okay. And it's interesting that there's a global agency format in there, and, that, and you say that's, that's performing well. So there are four channels that you oversee. So what's the structure of your commissioning team then? Because 
that's a lot of work. So how do uh, domestic and also international producers and partners practically work with you to bring you formats or pitch you ideas? How does that work? First, because I think uh, it used to be different in the UK. I think we are more and more the same in terms of organization. But just to give you um, the big picture, I would say like five or six years ago, within the TF1 group, it was it was like one commission team per uh, channel for TF1, TMC, TFX. And then we decided to have only one unique team and to centralize all the decisions uh, to make sure that when we choose a content, it will be okay, the best content for the best slots. And in order as well to do sometimes some reruns or to say, okay, this show could be great for this uh, first run in this slot, let's say on TFX, and maybe a rerun on TF1 afternoon uh, on the weekends. So now we have only one team. With my team, uh, the, the idea is to welcome all the producers. So we have meetings every day with mostly with French producers. And when they have an ID uh, regarding an unscripted format, unscripted ID for TF1, TMC, or TFX, they come to us, they pitch, and then uh, the ID is to, regarding the strategy for every slot, for every channel, is to say, okay, this content will be great for uh, this slot, this channel. So then I would say I have the responsibility to shortlist the best projects. And then I have a weekly meeting with the management board. So I mean with the head of programs, with the head of programming, and with the number one of TF1, Ara Prikion, the the head of um, the channels. And then together we decide as well with with the head of unscripted programs. So the five of us, we decide which show is the best, which show is to commission. And then when the show is commissioned, then with my team, we have the responsibility to oversee the lunch, to oversee the first season. So I, I mostly I work only on the first season on every format, and then another team takes the responsibility. So like that, I'm always focused on new shows, upcoming uh, first seasons, and, and all that. Um, and, and then to give you an idea, I would say my team is is not that big because we are seven. Right. So it's not okay. It's not that big to to manage all uh, this program scouting and and program developing and program commissioning. It's it's a very motivated uh, team. So I'm I'm very lucky on this point. Right. Well, it's a it's a very lean team, if you like, because it sounds like you're involved in in that commissioning and also you're all invested in those shows in the way that you know they can work across different different channels so when you're making a decision is you're looking clearly for the best value as well when it comes across you know uh, content ideas that will work across channels but also it's interesting you're really involved in the launch in terms of marketing which is slightly unusual certainly in my experience you have different departments come in and oversee marketing and yes the teams work together to do that but it sounds like you're you know you're a very lean team and and you've got a very clear idea for each format and each acquisition that you make and you want to launch it in the way that you you buy into it at that pitch stage i guess yeah i would say i would say two things first it's so great to work in a group like tf1 
because the marketing team, the team in charge of the tra of trailers of on-air promotion, they are amazing teams. So then that's their responsibility. I would say my team is uh, the middleman between the production company and this, this team. So of course we are in charge of the lunch, but then we are helped by amazing. And then I would say, because it was not the case before, but for five years now, because actually I have two bosses. My team is linked to the head of program. So when we commission a show, I work with this guy, Fabrice Bailly, is the head of program. So kids programming, unscripted, acquisition, uh, French fiction, in charge, he's in charge of everything. But so I would say that's nice to be linked to him because when, when a show is commissioned, when we launch a show, it's great to have his comments and his help. And my team is also linked and my other boss, uh, that's quite unusual. Uh, I, I think maybe I'm the only one at TF1 to have two bosses. The only one is the head of programming. And so uh, thanks to him, we are involved in the strategy. So that's why, as you said, because we are involved in the strategy for the different slots, for the different channel, I would say that we know what we are looking for. Yeah. It's not only, okay, we receive projects and then we, we, we think, okay, it's a good or it's a bad project. We know what we are looking for because we are, at the very first day, we are thinking about the strategy, saying, okay, we, we know that in the next six months, we want to, uh, let, let's say, we want to have a new guessing game show. We, we want a new game show for this slot. We want to, uh, to explore a new slot. So we put that strategy on the table and then it's okay, we have these slots, we have these needs. So what will be the best project to fill these, these uh, needs. Yeah. So I think it's key. Uh, it's to be part of the strategy and then to know very well the needs and then to to look after the, 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 the right projects. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Uh, approaching things like that. Are you developing any formats with international producers or is it like 90% French producers? Yes, it's 90% French, but I hope it will be more and more international players. Right. We, we, we like that. I think in the first phase, because I arrived at TF1 six, seven years ago, so I think the first phase was, okay, at the beginning, it was like no creation at all. You know, for a long time, the DNA of TF1 was to look after uh, formats already on air abroad with an impressive track record and so to minimize the risks. And then when the new president, Gilles Pellisson, arrived like six years ago with his head of content, Ara Pricion, so when the, 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 the big two, uh, the top two, when they arrived, they decided to have a more entrepreneurial culture and say, okay, we have to take risks. We have to innovate. And so uh, content-wise, it means to create our own content, to co-create our own content with partners, and so to, to try and see. And failures are part of the business. So it's not a big deal to, 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 to get some failures. It's part of, of, of the business. So with this new mindset, uh, thanks to them, I would say uh, four years ago, we started to create formats, to take risks, to put paper formats on there. And I would say the first phase until now uh, was to, uh, to create regarding our needs. And so to say, okay, we need a, a, a daily factual entertainment for TF1 in access point time. We don't have an amazing format abroad. So let's take the risk to create our own format. 
So it was the first phase to create for our own needs and only for, I uh, would say, for our viewers. And I feel that we're going to uh, begin the second phase more and more now to create good IPs, not only for our local market, but also for the international market. So we have started to, to create uh, some amazing formats. Let's talk about The Secret Song. Uh, it's a variety music show uh, with surprises. Uh, it's a big, shiny floor entertainment uh, in which celebrities have no idea what they are in for. And so they arrived uh, on the set on the iconic uh, Secret Song chair. And then they are waiting for a surprise. It could be like something, uh, a song from their relatives, from another celebrity, and it's in a kind of homage. Um, so we created the format uh, more than three years ago. So far, we have done at least 10, 10 or 12 uh, primetime shows on TF1. Uh, the last one was last Saturday, a few days ago. And, 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 and once again, we, we got an amazing 30% on Kidemo. 30% um, uh, share, so it was far, uh, far from the from the competition, far far above. I know that I think it was last week the former knew a massive lunch on TV4 in Sweden with an amazing 38% share. Eight prime time uh, have been produced by Warner in three, uh, in in Sweden. The show has been uh, already uh, adapted in Italy. Uh, in other, in 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 few other countries. So yes, I, I would say that I think because we 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 are uh, a, a quite a big market, we are able to create uh, format, even for our market, but for international market as well. And the same regarding our, our creation and paper formats. Uh, I would like to mention uh, our daily docu reality series, Thought for TF1. So it's on TF1 every uh, evening. Uh, just before 6 p.m. from from Monday to Friday, and uh, it's it's a docu reality series called Large Families. I created this show with my team, and I'm I'm so proud of it because uh, it has been a game changer for us, uh, doubling uh, the market share in Access Prime Time every day from Monday to Friday. Uh, so far, we have produced uh, I think almost uh, 200 episodes. Uh, and so in this um, docu-reality, we follow the amazing, exceptional uh, daily life of 10 large families. I, I mean large families. I mean with six, seven, eight, ten, ten kids. And so every daily task uh, becomes uh, a huge challenge. And, and so we follow everything, uh, uh, giving birth, uh, buying a house, uh, proposing a um, wedding, announcing pregnancy. So emotion of course, uh, and everything is, is living in, in bigger. And, and in the end, it's not that stress to, 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 to watch. I think it's inspiring. It's, it's feel-good TV because you, yeah, at the beginning you, you say, okay, how they do to manage 10 kids? I have uh, difficulties to manage my two kids. How they do to manage 10 kids? Yeah. But then, then I, I would say it's hypnotic to watch. Yeah. Uh, the pace is awesome. We jump from one family to another every three, four minutes. So the pace is great. And from the very first day, the ratings were, were amazing. And I think we learned this in summer uh, 2020. So just after the big and the real lo first lockdown, I would say. To tell you, in this slot, 
we have had uh, faction, British factory entertainment, locally produced, locally adapted. We, had, we have had uh, four weddings, uh, four, um, four in a bed. So for 10 years, we have had this kind of faction entertainment, you, you know, with scores, sometimes with mean comments and stuff like that. Hmm. And we, when large families arrived, it was like uh, a smashing hit from the very first day because I think people, viewers, wanted to have only feel good. We don't judge any family. Every family has his own way of educating their kids, of managing their daily lives. And, and, and so I think, yes, as I said, it's just inspiring. Sometimes, I guess, if you can source something special about not only the stories you tell, but the way that you tell them, that is very, very genuine to a local audience, then actually that can unlock something that travels, actually. You know, the, there's, there's just, just unlocking a particular element of human nature or the way that you approach a certain subject can actually create a format that surprisingly does really well abroad, even though uh, in the first instance you've, you've, uh, you've de- developed it for a local market. So you're having a lot of success there in terms of international format development, which is great. Am I right in saying that that France is still a little bit behind maybe where it should be when it comes to developing formats for the international market? Because it's such a rich culture when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to animation, film, storytelling, cinema, the screen, basically. And you know, perhaps other territories have become more successful over time, whether it's the UK or US or or, uh, or you talk about global agencies, is obviously developing formats for the international market. I always see Francis saying, there's so many great stories and such a rich culture there. Why aren't there more French formats doing well on Fox, for example, or, or you know, on, on, on channels right around the world? What, what's the reason for that? I think first you are totally right, and uh, and I'm annoyed by that, uh, and that's why I, I would like to change that. Uh, first, as as I said earlier, for a very long time in France, GF1 and the other channels, they wanted to minimize the risks, and it was easier to adapt an international format with uh, uh, an impressive track record. So for a very long time, uh, you know, in France, I, I don't say it was easy, but I think it was like, okay, let's wait after one, two, three seasons to give you an example uh, and, and to give you two British big formats, Dancing with the Stars and um, We Want to Be a Millionaire. I think it has been adapted on TF1 maybe after two or three seasons of success in the UK, in the US. So it was like that before. Uh, I would say in the 90s, in the 90s, it was, okay, let's wait and we'll see if we have to adapt it or not. Now, uh, I think, as I said, and especially at TF1, uh, thanks to uh, the new management, I think we are, uh, we are willing to take risks, to, to take more risks and, and to create. And I think because now uh, French producers, French broadcasters, I think... They have understood that it's part of the business to create IP and then to get revenues from the uh, international sales. So, um, so yes, I think we are running late. 
uh, on this um, business. Um, that's why, as I said, maybe to minimize the risks, the first phase at TF1 was, okay, we're going to create now our own IPs, but first, clearly to address our local needs and to make sure that because our first business is to get amazing ratings uh, for the advertisers. That's that's the core business of TF1. But I would say now I think we are ready because we have created uh, uh, our IPs, paper formats. We got successes, we got failures, but we have learned. And, and, and we have some examples that some uh, formats could be relevant for the international, form, international market. So the secret song is an example. Um, uh, three years ago, we created with my team uh, two daily faction entertainment, uh, the best Christmas, the best holidays. Uh, in French, mon plus beau Noël, les plus belles vacances. And it has been adapted in Italy, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in Germany. So it has uh, started to travel. And uh, and the last example, the latest example I'm very proud of, uh, it's not necessarily a format, but it's it's give you an, an idea of, okay, we are able to create good content, uh, good enough to travel. Uh, it's the docu-reality uh, on TMC, on primetime on TMC, uh, called the Parisian Agency Exclusive Properties. Uh, it's available on Netflix as well. And 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 this reality series follows uh, the Kretz family and their luxury property business. Uh, they help uh, clients buy and sell uh, amazing homes in France and uh, in, in the rest of the world. So uh, it's, it's a great show. And so to tell you, uh, it was first a commission only in France for TMC. So the first season was commissioned. I commissioned the show for TMC. We produced the first season with um, uh, with Media One in France, uh, and then Netflix watched the show, loved the show, and so they decided to uh, buy uh, the the rights of the first season to put it on Netflix worldwide, and then even they decided to co-produce the second season with us. So the second season just started on TMC on primetime uh, two weeks ago, and then it will be uh, on Netflix in France and 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 uh, abroad. So, so it's we are not necessarily talking about a format here, but it's great as well to create content relevant for the French audience and even relevant for um, uh, an international audience, um, and 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 to be broadcasting worldwide uh, through. Netflix through uh, Peacock maybe tomorrow or Amazon or whatever. So, uh, so thanks to these examples, secret songs or daily factual entertainment uh, sold abroad, uh, the tourist uh, a satisfaction uh, format uh, adapted in Germany, uh, the Parisian agency. So thanks to these examples, we 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 know now that it's possible. We can create. Um, uh, formats, content relevant for France and, and, and abroad. So that's why I think now our, our new mindset is, okay, we have to, to dig in uh, in this way and to create more uh, original formats for our local market and for the international market. So, but yes, you're totally right. We were late because I think it was 
it was part of the uh, risk management and the way uh, the business was organized in France. I think now, uh, because everything uh, is quicker now, we have to to make decisions far quicker. Uh, Now the competition is worldwide. So yes, that's exciting. Yeah, uh, we have to move quicker, and we have to 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 be more creative, more uh, and to innovate more. So yes, that's uh, the upcoming months, the upcoming years are so exciting. Yeah, well, it sounds. I mean, it sounds like you're very well positioned, just in terms of the way that your that your team is organized, and you're very very clear about what you're looking for when you're developing formats. A part, you know, a big part of that is tapping into human behavior human trends the way that people interact with each other maybe what's happening in a little bit in the wider world as well as we come out of covid do you see any trends that you're looking to tap into when it comes to developing new formats for locally but also for the world you know any human behaviors perhaps that is front of mind for you when you're actually going out and developing these these new shows uh, yes definitely because i think uh we all have had a tough month in the last two years and so we feel as i explained for large families i think we feel that viewers want to have fun 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 and fun in front of the tv so uh, definitely i would say maybe i can highlight a uh, kind of four trends uh, and 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 we have a lot of projects in development or in production uh, in this uh, in, in this way. Uh, the first is uh, the fun and funny studio-based entertainment, definitely for co-viewing and to uh, and to laugh, yeah. just to laugh, to, to relax in front of TV. So, for example, in this uh, in this uh, genre, uh, we are producing "That's My Jam," uh, the Jimmy Fallon format. Uh, so it will be, it's in production right now. It will be uh, on prime time on TF1. So definitely it's a kind of format just to have fun, just to relax. Um, so I would say uh, this. Uh, then uh, we have seen in the last months that the nostalgia and archives uh, is a big trend here in France. So to give you an example, last summer we uh, we produce a prime time for TF1, very simple. It was like um, uh, t- um, 20, um, t- 2001, 2021, 20 years of TV. And it was just uh, a kind of documentary uh, with a lot of archives, and it did so well. And even we, we did a rerun of the same show six months after, uh, early January, and he did even better right. uh, compared to the first. Uh, so I, 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 when I say good ratings, it's like uh, above um, 30, 30% wow. of market share. Wow. So it was like crazy. And so we feel that nostalgia is, is great here. We have some uh, new projects in this uh, kind of documentary with archives. Even we have a studio-based game show uh, around this, I can't say more, but that's an international format that we are uh, adapting now. Is this pre-COVID? Is this the people looking back to the days before COVID, do you think? It's- yeah, the good old days. It may be the good old days to say, okay, it was so fun and lively in the 90s, in the noughties. So maybe it's part of that to say okay, it, it was so fun before. And, and yes, maybe the life was easier. The life was 
uh, more beautiful. Maybe it's part of that. So we have Nostalgia Archives. We have the fun uh, studio-based entertainment. For the younger audience, uh, we still have uh, reality, noisy reality, but I, I would say that, yes, definitely we want to put humor in it and to have fun and, and funny uh, reality. Uh, to, to give you an example, we, um, uh, we, we have created uh, a, a dating show uh, called Dating with Dogs. Right. So, uh, so it's a paper format. Uh, it's a co-development with Coyote. Coyote is, uh, is uh, one of the major indies uh, in France. Um, and the idea is, uh, okay, you're gonna as, as a single, you're gonna match the dog before matching the owner. Right. Uh, and and so it's it's already taped. It's in editing right now. It's it's very fun. Uh, and, and it's so a TFX uh, dating show. So to give you the idea, so the single tone, the single, um, he has or she has a dog. She's they they, they are like an inseparable uh, pair, uh, and uh, the single will have to match the sweetest dog on the dating app and then in real life before meeting the owners. So uh, so I come with my dog. Uh, I, I'm gonna meet three dogs. And based on the dog, saying, okay, this dog is so gentle with my dog, or this dog is a bit ugly, so I don't want to meet uh, uh, the, the, the girl uh, behind. And so based on the, on the meeting with the three, three dogs, I'm going to uh, pick up uh, two dogs, and so I'm going to pick up two girls. And then it will be like a more usual uh, dating uh, date. Um, but uh, so, yes, it's... But then it's a real experience, and it and because for for the owners of the of of the dogs, uh, because they are all owners, that's very key to find out love and to find out a partner uh, in love with with their dogs as well, and 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 able to accept uh, my dog. So, so the I would say the promise, uh, yes, is uh, is 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 a bit uh, uh, and and funny and new and unusual. But then it's a real experience of dating. So, so I, I can tell you that yeah, the show is is very fun to watch. And I think for the people in the experience, at the end they really can find love. But for the viewers, it's so fun to yeah. watch. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine. I mean, also you know, as a result of COVID, the, obviously dog ownership went through the roof. Everybody was deciding, I've always wanted a dog, but you know, and then. Everybody was at home and everyone worked out, actually, we can have a dog now, right? We, we can't travel anywhere. I don't travel everywhere. I've been working from home. I can have a dog. So maybe there's something there. And I mean, the UK's big nation of dog owners, perhaps we might see your format in the UK before too long. And, and I hope. And, and the fourth, maybe the fourth trend is because, because it, 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 it has been tough uh, with the COVID, with the lockdown, uh, I, I think maybe uh, viewers and broadcasters and everyone uh, want to highlight uh, good human people, and I mean not necessarily nurses and 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 and, and doctors and all these people who who, who who have helped a lot during the, the the COVID crisis, but I mean the human nature, and so I can feel that uh, generating heroes faction entertainment with real people at the core i think it's a trend as well so for example um, it's not a new new format but uh we just did a reboot of uh how to how to look good naked um and i think this this kind of 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 format highlighting 
good uh, human behaviors, uh, good human nature. I think it's it's just yes, it's good. It's good now to 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 watch this kind of of, of show. You know, with no judgment, with no mean comments, and and just to to push and to and to put into into the spotlight uh, good good humans kindness uh, as well it's a it's a bit of kindness isn't it it's about you know again as you say post covid people are people seem to be striving for people to be nicer to each other and we've seen cattiness and bitchiness and the way that social media can create lots of uh, unpleasantness but simple kindness is something that you think is is also the fourth trend you're seeing Maybe it's a bit naive to say that and to hear that, but definitely I think yes, because it was very hard. I think you know, as as a human being, as as a father of two, yes, in front of TV, I just want to to after the news, I want to to watch yes, fun shows uh, with good feelings and just to 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 have fun and to laugh uh, with my kids and family. So yeah, definitely I think yes, we are in this era. Of, of TV, of, uh, of feel-good, uh, inspiring um, shows. And, and, and yes, just to have fun, just to have fun, because it's so hard to stay and to work from home. For the kids, you know, to have PCR tests like every two days to go to schools, yes, that's hard. And I, I think maybe the other, it's not a trend, but I would say, and maybe thanks to the international competition with the international and the US platforms, you know, uh, in Europe, Netflix, Amazon, uh, Disney Plus, and all these platforms that you, you you have the same in the UK. I think maybe now we have to innovate. We have to to propose more and more novelties, new programs, uh, like every month. So um, to 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 uh, to give you an idea, I'm so excited and so happy because right now, currently, uh, with my team, we are working on uh, 18 new brands. Uh, for 2022, uh, including seven international formats and 11 uh, paper formats creation. Um, so it could be, and in, in, in these examples, it could be uh, paper format creation from my team, uh, co-development with uh, French producers, and even co-development with international players. So in a docu-series, uh, studio-based entertainment, dating show, uh, faction entertainment so and for tmc tfx uh tf1 and 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 we try to do more even for my tf1 or digital platform it's an avod uh, service it's a great service i'm not the manager of of my tf1 so when i say it's a good service it's not uh I'm, I'm not at all involved in that uh, in this success but on my tf1 we have around 25 million u- unique monthly users so every month we have 25 million of French people coming to my TF1, the app, the website, uh, to watch replays with advertising, uh, to watch replay of all uh, big shows, local fictions, um, fictions, uh, some exclusive content, mostly acquisition, uh, both for my TF1, and more and more we try to put even original content. So it could be like reality, uh, it could be documentary. So, so I, I would say that even more and more, uh, I have to have in mind to uh, get the best content for my for TF1, TFX, TMC, but as well for for my TF1. Uh, last month, uh, we launched my TF1 Max, 
So uh, it's like ITV A Plus. So that's the same service, but you pay um, for having no ads. So I would say maybe it's uh, it's a trend, but it's a trend in the in, in for the uh, full industry in France, the streaming, the streaming platform, and the streaming service. So uh, as you know, with um, with the public service, France Television, and with M6, our main competitor, uh, we created Salto. It's a kind of the French Hulu. That's right. Uh, so it's, it's an SVOD, uh, SVOD platform. Uh, so with no ads, you pay every month and you have uh, a lot of previews. Uh, one month in advance, uh, six weeks, eight weeks in advance, you have the big show from uh, TF1, M6, and the public service. Uh, you have some exclusive content. Um, and so, so yes, that's part of the business to uh, to invest more and more uh, in in the digital uh, uh, platforms. So, so it's great for the industry. It's great for uh, it's great for the producers. Uh, it's great for the the, the 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 content creators. It's great for me as a commissioner and 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 as a, a content creator. It's also a big trend to I think to invest more and more in this. Uh, uh, in, in, in the streaming uh, services. You mentioned MCs, and obviously there's an upcoming merger that is in play at the moment. What's the latest on that? And how is that affecting how you operate as a business? Because whenever you're going into a big media merger anywhere in the world, a lot of people experience, you know, okay, you've got to stop spending, you've got to stop commissioning until the merger is finalized. And then, and sometimes that can be like, you know, six months of where you have to pause all that activity doesn't seem to me that that's what's happening at tf1 at the moment tell us about that upcoming merger and how it's affecting uh, your daily activities yeah firstly and i would say that's a key point a big point uh it won't be necessarily an upcoming merger i mean we don't know yet if we'll be authorized or not to merge so now we are waiting for the green light of the authorities so we don't know yet if the merger will be effective or not. Uh, I think uh, we should know around next summer. And if the merge is relighted and uh, the merge will be effective uh, in, in next December. So we still have to wait uh, one year, at least 11, 12 months. Uh, but yes, we don't know yet. So in the meantime, M6 is still our main competitor and we have to, to act, act like that. That's our main competitor. It's still our main competitor. And maybe tomorrow, maybe the merger will be effective and it will, and it, it will be great because it's what we, we want. But if the merger is not effective, uh, we will keep our own path. And so we will, we'll see. So in the meantime, I don't want to, to be disturbed by that. Uh, I want to keep my path and work as I have to work. Uh, I mean, to get the best content, the best formats, uh, and to make sure that we are still uh, the leading channel uh, in, in, in France. As I said, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we are waiting. And, and we'll see maybe next summer uh, to get first clues from the authorities. And then we'll see if it's effective or not. And now it's time for Story of the Week, the TV industry news story that's caught my guest's eye in the past seven days. Julian, what's your story of the week? It's a very local uh, story. I would say that the French story, but maybe it could be uh, appealing or relevant for your listeners. Uh, it's a major agreement 
for cinema, television, and streaming uh, signed uh, this week in France for the Media Chronology. Uh, you know, this uh, French exception which obliged uh, a delay between the release of a film in movie theaters and its broadcasting. Yes. So uh, this uh, Media Chronology is, is here to protect uh, the release and the movie theaters. Uh, and until now, Canal Plus could broadcast a feature film eight months uh, after its release. And the streaming platforms, like Netflix, it was 36 months later. With this new uh, uh, agreement, it will be only now six months for Canal Plus, 15 months uh, for, the, um, uh, for the other platform, including uh, Netflix. Uh, and, and for the... Uh, traditional broadcasters is still uh, 22 months. But I would say that this story of media chronology, what all, all that says is the content and the viewers are at the core and are the big winners in a way. Uh, because it's a win-win situation to protect our local industry by having French players and international platforms to invest in local content because uh, they obtain the reduction of the delay uh, by investing more in local content. So, for example, Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus, they have to invest 20% of their turnover into uh, local content, movies, uh, fiction, unscripted. So it's great um, to, to make sure that even the U.S. players will invest in French local content and so to make sure that our local industry will be uh, dynamic enough and with a lot of opportunities for, for everyone. Uh, and even if uh, the, the delay uh, is decreasing, it's still a good way to protect the releases at the movie theaters. I would say it's totally uh, French, maybe in a way, but it's a good example of how, thanks to the authorities, the uh, local industry is protected. And, you know, it's what we called uh, uh, l'exception culturelle, so the, the, the French cultural exception. Yeah. But it's a good way. Maybe for, um, for, for, for someone abroad, it, 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 it sounds like a lot of laws, a lot of obligation and stuff like that. But it's a good way uh, to make sure that the local industry is lively. And now, even if it's not my business, and uh, as you know, I'm in the uh, unscripted and format business, but I'm so proud to see that in France, Every year, we produce a lot of movie uh, movies. And so, so we have a lot of writers, directors, uh, actors, comedians, actresses. And so uh, it's so great to have a, a, a lively industry, uh, of course, for the movie. But that's, that's the same for the, the TV industry. It's, it's like a um, it's a mixture of protection but investment uh, in, in the local industry. So that's, uh, that's fascinating. And I don't think it – is there a similar arrangement elsewhere in the world? Or is it? literally exceptional to, to France, this sort of agreement. Yeah, we call that the uh, French uh, cultural exception. So I mean, maybe it's a clue that it's typically French. Maybe in the US, you know, with all the unions, I think they are uh, strong enough to protect the industry as well. It's not my my expertise, so I don't know very well, but maybe yes, in, in, the, in, in the US with, uh, with the unions. And now it's time for Hero of the Week and get in the bin. Julian, who's your Hero of the Week? So my hero of the week is Arthur. Uh, it's a friendly wink. Uh, Arthur is a famous host here in France. It has been on air for 20 years. 
still performing well on prime time. Business-wise, some of you may know him as the former CEO of Endemol France and currently is the founder and CEO of Satisfaction. You know, last, last year, he, he bought Sony France. So it's the year of the week, mostly uh, for his special prime time next Saturday on TF1, celebrating the 10th anniversary of his format, You Know Anything Goes. Uh, this format created on TF1 10 years ago, and then uh, I think the format has been adapted in 20, 25 countries. He taped this special prime time in a big venue with 2,000 people in the audience, uh, the maximum uh, allowed uh, now in France due to the COVID. It was planned to have uh, 4,000, but only 2,000 were, were allowed. Uh, the shooting was crazy with more than 50, 50 early celebrities uh, coming to celebrate the format. Uh, and, and you will see the, the opening is, of the show is brilliant. Uh, it's a parody of Squid Games. Aha, uh-huh, okay. So with a lot of French early celebrities and a lot of self-mockery from Arthur. So it's so funny. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a great uh, opening. Uh, it's available on the uh, social network. It's in French. But the, uh, the, the parody of Squid Games, you, you, you should have a look. It's, it's very well done and very, very fun. So uh, excellent. All right. Well, we'll put a link in the episode description to that trailer there. And uh, and who or what are you telling to get in the bin, Julian? So it would it was hard to 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 find something to to get in the bin. I would say, and I'm I'm, I'm half joking. I would say uh, the stock market. I mean the volatilities of media company stocks. Of course, we also the strong correction is in U.S. companies last week, like Netflix and Amazon. Maybe in the wake of bitcoins. Uh, but also because their stocks were so up and, and were up a lot in 2021. It was not the case for the uh, traditional European players, such as ITV, Proceban Data, and TF1, which nevertheless rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall, with no correlation to the audiences, to the ratings, to the content. So that's why that's why I would get that in the bin, uh, the stock market. <laughs> All right, stock market volatilities going yeah. in the bin. <laughs> Julian, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Really enjoyed chatting with you. I, we could go on because, you know, the, as I say, I've got such fascination for the French industry and it's incredibly interesting. And I think that, you know, it, we don't get uh, the opportunity to talk about it too much. That's one of the, my New Year's resolutions, to, to have more French industry executives on the show to, to chat about more about goings on, which is, and it's a really interesting time there as well so thanks so much good luck with everything sounds like everything's shaping up to be a really good year for you and tf1 so thank you for having me it was great i really enjoy your conversation and uh yes and finger crossed for all these uh upcoming new shows well that's about it for this week's show don't forget to rate and subscribe to telecast and share it with friends and colleagues We've got a brand new website that includes exclusive feature content from TV's opinion leaders and journalists. They're all free to access. Just sign up at telecast.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for our free newsletter, Telecast Plus? You can also follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Telecast was edited by Ian Chambers and recorded in London. Until next week... As always, stay safe.